Thank you, Cindy. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin with the last verse of Galatians 5, but let me remind you where we were last week. Most of you weren't here, and so we've been looking at Galatians this summer. I've preached through the book of Galatians. We're now in chapter 6, or the end of chapter 5. And we ended last week with this statement, if you live by the Spirit, then let us also walk by the Spirit. We looked at the fruit of a Spirit-filled life, the fruit that is produced in a life, love, joy, peace, and so on. And so that ought to happen in the church. The title of the message today is Church. And people are confused about what the church is. Some people think that's the church, that building. Had a couple of conversations. In fact, I'll just share a couple of conversations. One, I took guitar lessons for a while. I never got any good at it, but I enjoyed trying. In fact, my first guitar lesson, I was trying to tune my guitar, and I broke a string. That should have been a sign right there. But in conversation with the guy that was teaching me, I discovered this guy was a Christian. He, he believed in Jesus. We had some conversations about that. And then I asked him, I said, so where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go to church. I watch television. I said, what? <laughs> and what he meant by that was, I don't go to church. I don't like people at church. So I just watch preachers on TV. Well, that's not the church. That's television. And some preaching on TV is not real healthy. Be careful. Another conversation happened when I was asking directions. I was near Iwanatah Valley. I was speaking there one time. Have you ever been to Iwanatah Valley? Anybody from here? It's a word that means no hot water. It's a camp in the upstate. It's a great camp, actually. It's in the mountains. There's cool stuff they do there. But I'd gotten there late to speak the first night, so I, I missed dinner. So I went out to get uh, something to eat. And the guy who was leading worship came with me, and we pulled in this parking lot. Well, it's Sunday night, so this place was closed. It had a sign I thought was really cool. It said, Best Hot Dogs in Town. I thought, well, that's cool. I'd go for a hot dog right now. But I was like, where's town? <laughs> if you're the only place within a 10-mile radius, you're the best hot dogs in town. But there's this farmer there, overalls, big chaw to back in his mouth. So I was going to ask him, is it closer to Greenville or Hendersonville from here? Because we're going to go try to get something to eat. So I asked him. He came over, and, of course, he spit that wad of tobacco so he could talk. And I said, is it closer to Hendersonville or Greenville? He said, I recommend you go to Hendersonville. And he started pointing with his thumb. He said, what you do is you go down here until you come to a church. And then apparently he, uh, he sized me up and realized this dude doesn't know what a church is. So he said, now, a church is a brick building with a steeple on top. And I thought, you know what? Sadly, that's what a lot of people think the church is. The church is not a brick building with a steeple on the top. It's not a metal building. It's not a building. What's the church? The church is the people of God. It's the called out ones. It's us. We are the church. And so this morning we're going to look at Paul's writing, and I think Paul's getting towards the end of Galatians and most scholars, or a lot of scholars, think this is probably the first letter Paul ever wrote. Little six chapters to a church in trouble. The trouble was there was Judaizers that had come in and gotten in the ear of these brand new believers who had not grown up in the church, had not grown up Jewish, didn't know about God, had come to faith through Paul and others teaching and preaching there. And now churches have been planted in this region of Galatia. And so Paul's concerned for them. That's what we've been looking at through these first five chapters. We get to today, and it really is about how to do church. And I think Paul's thinking, all right, the last chapter, of course, when he wrote it, he didn't write chapters, okay? He wasn't thinking, all right, chapter 6. He just, toward the end of the letter, he's thinking, I, I at least want to say something about what it ought to be like in a church. And so Paul writes, and I'm going to pick up with verse 29 and read through the first part of chapter 6 for the first point, and that is look out for others. 
because what he just said about life in the Spirit, it ought to be evident, right? People ought to know you're a Christian. If people hang out with you for very long, they ought to know there's something different about you, and it's good. And so Paul said, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. But each one will bear his own load. So he starts off by saying, don't become boastful. Don't become so arrogant that you're tooting your own horn. In fact, what he's about to tell them to do, you won't do if that's what you're doing. If you're boasting, if it's all about you, if this life is all about you, you're not going to have concern for other people. He said, don't become boastful, self-conceited. Don't challenge one another. Literally, to call one out, to provoke, literally start a fight. Or envying one another, to be jealous of somebody else. And then he says, brethren, that word literally means the womb. It means brother, but it literally means your womb mates. <laughs> you are that close. He says, brethren, if anybody's caught in a trespass, I think the reason Paul writes that is he knows that's happened in the church. If somebody messes up, what do we do? Well, if you're boastful and jealous, what do you do if somebody gets caught in a trespass? Somebody sins in the church, what do you do? You pounce on them. You land on them. You point it out to them. You make sure everybody else knows about it. You hit them while they're down, kick them while they're down. And Paul says, no, here's what you do. Those who are caught in a trespass, those who are spiritual should restore them. The word trespass literally means a sidestep, a, a, a slip up, an error. He doesn't use the word for sin here. It's interesting. And he, he says if you're caught in a trespass, which makes it sound like this wasn't intentional. This was you're driving down the road and you hit a slick spot and the next thing you know you're in the ditch. Now, it doesn't take away personal responsibility for the trespass, but Paul is saying if anyone is caught in a trespass, literally a trap, the enemy, the devil, sets traps for us. If you, are you aware of that? He'd love nothing more than to trip you up. Well, here's the question. How are we going to deal with that in the church? When somebody's caught in a trespass, they're tripped up, they're caught in a snare. Let me ask you, what do you want people to do to you? Let's say you're walking through the woods and you step on a bear trap. You've seen them on television. They're saying that just spring up. You stepped in the wrong spot and all of a sudden you are caught. Don't you want somebody to come along and get you out of that trap? Those traps hurt. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. So Paul says, here's what you do. Those who are spiritual, in other words, those who are not carnal, those who are walking by the Spirit of God, who are walking with Christ, restore such a person. Literally, the word restore means to mend a broken bone or to mend a net. So it means those who are spiritual, when you see the person who is caught in the trespass, it's like something's broke. And so help mend that person that is broke or broken. How do you do that? Well, one thing we do is to help people see that a trespass is a trespass. You, you can go to that person and just say, hey, 
Are you aware of what you did? And, and Let me just share, share with you from Scripture what the Bible says about that. Or are you aware that that's wrong? And first thing they got to do is acknowledge that what they did was wrong. they got to acknowledge a trespass as a trespass. Second thing you do is you encourage them to confess that, agree that it's wrong, and repent. What does that mean? To turn. It means you quit doing it and turn back to God. And then the ultimate thing is you want them back walking in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. So that's the ultimate goal. Somebody caught in a trespass, the goal is not to beat them up. The goal is really not ultimately to kick them out of the church. That may have to happen eventually. But we're hoping that doesn't have to happen. The goal is to mend them, set the broken bones back in place, figuratively, and have them back walking with Christ. Restore such a one. In two ways he says to do it. First, gently. Do it in gentleness. Remember the woman caught in adultery? John chapter 8, woman caught in adultery. Religious leaders. Jesus is teaching in the courtyard of the temple. They bring her and say, we caught this woman in the act, the very act of adultery. Of course, the big question is, okay, where's the man? They bring the woman. They're trying to trap Jesus, trying to trip him up. The law says we ought to stone such a one, and they're already picking their rocks up and warming up. We're going to stone him. Remember what Jesus does? He, he kneels down and starts writing in the sand. Scholars have debated what was he writing. He could have been writing the sins of these people that are wanting to throw stones. I don't think he was playing tic-tac-toe. I think he was writing something. And they press him. What are you going to do about it? So he stands up and he said, okay, let the one without sin cast the first stone. Was there anybody there that day could have thrown a stone? Yeah. Who? Jesus. What happens? When he says, let anybody that's without sin cast the first stone, it said they started walking away. They dropped their rocks start walking away, the oldest one's first until there's nobody but Jesus and this woman. Remember what Jesus said? Woman, is there no one to condemn you? She said, no one, sir. He said, then I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. That's gentle. That's the way Jesus dealt with the situation. He didn't pardon sin in the sense that he didn't say, oh, I don't think anything about it. Go back to your life. It's okay. It's no big deal. No. But he didn't condemn her either. He said, go and sin no more. And the interesting thing is, Jesus was going to have to pay the penalty for that sin. That woman didn't have to pay the penalty. She didn't pay with her life that day, but not long after that, Jesus was going to pay with his life. Gently. Some of you men don't like the word gentle. <laughs> I remember picking a washing machine out when we first got married, and they had a gentle cycle on the washing machine. There is nothing in my wardrobe that needs the gentle cycle. But I found out that women, men, you need to know this, women have things in their wardrobe they won't wash in this detergent called Woolite. Now, be honest, men, does that sound like that's going to do anything for you? I want a detergent that's in that machine fighting on my behalf. I want borax mule power detergent. There's, there was such a thing at one time. I don't want... Woolite. I mean, just saying that, you're thinking, that's just teasing the stain. So we don't like the word gentle, but let me tell you what the word gentle means. It means power under control. That's what gentle means. So when Jesus was gentle, it didn't mean that he was a wimp. Jesus was power under control. Could Jesus have condemned the woman in adultery? Yeah. Could he have condemned you for eternity? Instead of dying on the cross, 
He could have just said, forget you. But because he's gentle and because he loves you, he demonstrated by dying in your place. That's gentleness under control. So when we correct somebody that's caught in a trap, we do it gently. We do it with gentleness. Power under control. The second thing he says is, keep a look on yourself too. Each one looking to yourself, literally to take aim at or view attentively. Why? Because you don't need to get tripped up while you're in the midst of helping somebody that's been tripped up. And the way you could get tripped up, one way you could get tripped up in the same sin they've been involved in, but another way you could get tripped up is in arrogance and pride. In fact, the reason some people won't help people caught in a trespass is they think they're too spiritual and feel a little too special about themselves. We'll get to that in a minute. But Paul says do it gently and also make sure you keep an eye on yourself through the process that you don't get caught in the trespass yourself or that you don't end up sinning through pride or be tempted. And then he says bear one another's burdens. This literally means to lift up something really, really heavy. The word burden here means weight. And i got to go ahead and tip something from, from point number two. Or the end of this one, actually, and that is there's a difference in the word burden and the word load. And we'll, we'll explain that. But there's two problems with bearing one another's burdens. Some people are so spiritually proud they'll never share burdens with anybody. They, they may be going through the worst, most awful thing that they cannot deal with on their own, but they'll never share it with anybody. You know people like that, and maybe you've been one of those people. You go to church, and when people say, how are you doing, what do you say? Fine. You may have had the worst week possible. You may be going through a financial crisis. You may be going through a relationship crisis. But we put on the church face and we say, fine. But another problem with bearing burdens is some, some people treat everything like it's a burden. Some people do needy really well. More on that in a minute. But we fulfill the law of Christ by helping to pick up other people's burdens. One burden may be the trespass this person's fallen into, but it may be some other issue. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So that's what Paul's already said. Hey, look to yourself in the midst of helping people with other burdens. But some people won't do it because they think they're something. And Paul may have had a face in mind, a name in mind, maybe somebody from the Judaizers or somebody maybe back in Jerusalem that had come to faith in Christ but really wasn't acting very godly or Christ-like. They weren't acting gently. And he basically says, listen, if you're puffed up and you think you're something, you're just tricking yourself. It's one thing to lie to somebody else. It's worse when you're lying to yourself. And so Paul says, you need to examine your own work, and then you'll have a reason for boasting in regard to yourself, not somebody else. You know why we boast? We compare ourselves to other people. Remember the story that Jesus tells about the sinner and the publican that the sinner is just praying for mercy from God and the other guy is just going, God, thank you, I'm not like him. And I think there's some people think that's how you're going to get into heaven. Well, I'm better than the rest. But Jesus says, no, if you have anything to boast about, it's only what God is doing in you and through you. That's the only thing you can boast about. Don't think that you're something. For each will bear his own load. When, when you read the first part of the chapter and then you read that, you're kind of thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't he just say we're to help bear one another's burdens? Now he's telling us we've got to bear our own burden? What's, what's up with that? 
is two entirely different Greek words. The word for burden is a heavy load that wasn't intended for one man to carry. The word load literally is a man pack or a backpack. This is something you're supposed to carry. So we each carry our own load. But we help other people carry things they can't possibly carry on their own. And that's what the church ought to be about. The church ought to be a place where you can come and be honest. A place where you can tell people, hey, here's what's really going on in my life. But I just got to tell you, you better be careful who you tell. Because <laughs> some people in the church, here's how we do it in church. We share prayer requests. We don't gossip. We share prayer requests. Y'all ever been in that circle? Oh, we need to pray for Susie. And then you start spilling everything you know about Susie. So be careful who you tell it. But it ought to be, you ought to have people in the church you know I can trust their love for me and their walk with Christ, and I can really tell them what's going on in my life. I can open up and just say, hey, pray for me because I'm really struggling in these areas. Now, as I've told you, some people take loads and try to make burdens out of them, and they will weigh you down. So be careful to know which is which. Burden is something you were never intended to carry on your own. Load is what God's given you to carry. In fact, you remember what Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for my burden is light. What Jesus places on you is something you can carry. Not everything in your life is a crisis. And then he says, look out for yourself. Verse 6 and following. He said, the one, who is taught, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Again, I think this was the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. After this, he would write Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Ephesians, and so on. But Paul had left elders in the church to teach. Paul's not taking up an offering for himself, but he's basically saying, if you're taught the Word, share all good things with the one who teaches you. In other words, a laborer is worthy of his hire. Any ministers in the room? Anybody on? Church staff, your minister. Okay, This is an opportunity just for the church to bless you, to make sure your needs are taken care of. And then he says, don't be deceived. In other words, don't lead your own mind astray. Don't cause your own mind to roam. God is not mocked. Listen to me. God has set order in the universe, and there are consequences. The word mocked literally means to turn your nose up. In other words, it could be that in the church some, some things are being taught and people are just kind of throwing their nose. No, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to follow that. God's not mocked. You can live your own way if you want to, but you will have consequences that you bear for doing that. God's not mocked. And he goes on to give a great illustration. You're going to reap what you sow. We talked about this last week. There are deeds of the flesh and they're horrible, a bunch of them. There's deeds, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what is produced by God's presence in your life. And so whatever, whatever you feed, that's what grows. We all have, still have a human nature. We've been redeemed. We've, in the process of being sanctified, we've been justified. But if you feed the flesh, guess what's going to grow? The flesh grows. If you feed the Spirit, guess what's going to grow? 
the Spirit. The Spirit will have more rule and control in your life. And that's what God's about doing in your life. That's why it's good to hear God disciplines those whom He loves. And so Paul says, God's not mocked. You can think somehow I can keep doing what I'm doing and be okay with God. God knows what you're doing. God sees in private what you think nobody else knows about. Paul says, God's not mocked. There's consequences. Whatever you're sowing, that's what you're going to reap. And if you're sowing to the flesh, literally, if you're scattering seeds to the flesh, you know what's coming? A harvest. You know what the harvest is for the flesh? Corruption. Decay. Destruction. But those who sow to the Spirit, those who are scattering seeds to the Spirit, reap eternal life. There's only two fields. You're sowing. I don't know if you've ever planted something by this way. Sowing seeds. I planted okra when I was in seminary in Texas. Okra is this really tiny seed. And unfortunately, the wind blows a lot in Texas. So when I was in seminary, they rented out these garden plots, and there's a bunch of students had plots near me. Well, they all ended up with okra in their garden. Why? Because the seed blew over there. And I know they showed up. I didn't plant this. Yeah, but that idiot over there did. So if you sow okra, you're not going to get an apple tree out of that. You're not going to get tomatoes. You're going to get okra. And some of you are thinking, why would anybody sow okra in the first place? <laughs> Okra's good. If you're from Minnesota, I'll explain okra later. <laughs> that and grits. I'll explain that to you. <laughs> you will sow to the Spirit. Guess what? You will reap. There's a harvest coming if you sow to the Spirit. And what's that harvest? Eternal life. When does eternal life start? The moment you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Eternal life, abundant life, spiritual life, zoe from God. It starts the moment you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. I think there's some people think, well, yeah, I'll reap a harvest in heaven by and by, someday, pie in the sky. No, here's the good news. You trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Life starts immediately. We once were dead. But now we're alive. So men and women, what are you sowing to? I won't talk about how to sow to the flesh, but I'll tell you about sowing to the Spirit. You do that by the books you read, the people you hang out with, your choices in entertainment, the thoughts you possess and allow to linger in your mind. You do that by being involved in Bible study, both personally and with groups. You find yourself at a church that preaches the Word of God. You experience worship on a regular basis, and you're digging in deep into Scripture, you're feeding the Spirit, you're sowing to the Spirit, and you're going to reap a harvest. Listen, if you focus on the things of God, you won't have to worry about the desires of the flesh. They'll fade. Last thought, and I'm done, last two verses. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of the faith. Why does Paul have to say, don't grow weary in doing good? If the harvest was immediate, if the day we sowed a good deed, we saw results immediately, we'd be more, more motivated to keep doing the good deeds. The problem is the harvest may not come immediately. I remember our kids brought home a styrofoam cup one time with a bean planted in it. Y'all ever done that for school? 
You can sit there and stare all day. You know the bean's in there. You can water it. In fact, if you're not careful, you'll overwater it. You're just sitting there. Finally realize, well, I'll go to sleep. Next day you come in, you're excited. It's still dirt. I got a cup of dirt. I'm growing a cup of dirt. It's wet dirt. I think there's a bean in there, but nothing's happening. It takes days. And all of a sudden, what happens? A little crack forms in your dirt. Well, something's going on. I got a cup of dirt with a crack. Next thing you know, you start seeing a little green. And what happens? It may take weeks. And finally, all of a sudden, you got a bean. I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. It's not going to feed you for very long. It's just one bean plant. But what does it prove? You sow a bean. There's a harvest coming. Same thing's true. And that's what Paul's saying. Listen, be encouraged. Don't lose heart, church. When you're doing the things of God and you're honoring God by your life, don't lose heart. There is a harvest coming. And don't look around at people that are living ungodly lives and thinking, the harvest is late. No, it's coming in God's timing. God's not slow, as some people count slowness, but He's patient, wanting all to come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It'll come in due time, so don't grow weary. And in the meantime, while we have opportunity, while it's still called today, what are we to do? Let us do good. To all people, especially people that are part of our household. And I'm not talking about the house you live on on the street. I'm talking about the household of faith. The place to start doing good is at the church. And hopefully it doesn't just stay there. Hopefully it spreads out from there to the world. But what did Jesus say? They'll know you're my followers, what? By your love for one another. So demonstrate that while we still have an opportunity. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Just a time for thought and reflection. Are you playing with a sin right now that you think you can handle? I just want to encourage you. Don't get caught in a trespass because you're flirting with sin. And if you've got a friend that's already gone up the edge of the trespass, prayerfully, gently, seek to restore him or her. And keep a watch on yourself. And look this week at what you're sowing to. Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you allowing things in your ears and your eyes and your life that are ungodly? There's a harvest coming. Are you sowing to the Spirit? Are you involved in the things of God? And while we have time, honor God with your life. Do good to all people. And God, I pray that, that that would be the story of our lives. In Christ's name.